Hey friends, this is Matt Sewell, and you're listening to episode 65 of the Popecast, the only podcast about popes where you'll get non-boring stories of the popes and a reminder that all of the world's problems have happened plenty of times before. Our sponsors this week are, again, the folks over at Catholic Balm Co., where you can find the most exquisite beard balms, oils, lotion bars, and more. Head over to catholicbalm.co to check out their great variety of products, and don't worry... My beard is growing its way back in. I got rid of the dirty mustache after a happy three weeks. So I am uh, very much excited to use my chrism scented beard uh, beard balm once more. But uh, yeah, be sure to head over to catholicbalm.co to check out all of the stuff Catholic Balm Co. has to offer. And then be sure to enter the word Pope, P-O-P-E, at checkout to get 10% off your entire order. And once again, thanks to the guys at Catholic Balm Co. for sponsoring the Popecast. Well, after a handful of excellent episodes with special guests, we hope you all enjoyed them uh, and happily kissing 2020 goodbye. We are back with more stories of, in this case, at least long forgotten popes. Our man this week was a mentor to one of the greatest popes to ever live. He spent far too much time trying to drum up an army from the emperor to protect Rome from destruction, and he met his earthly end as a deadly disease swept brutally through late 6th century Rome. This week on the Popecast, it's the Pope who died of the plague. Pope Pelagius II. The future Pope Pelagius II was born in Rome, likely of Ostrogothic descent, sometime around the year 520 AD, his name being the Latin version of the Greek Pelagios, which itself was derived from the word Pelagos, meaning the sea. Other than the fact that his dad's name was Vinegild, and in case anybody's looking for some pandemic baby names, we know nothing more of his life prior to his election as successor to St. Peter. Pelagius II was elected to succeed Pope Benedict I in August of the year 579, less than a month after his predecessor's death and amidst a great famine and siege of Rome by the Lombards, who had begun conquering the boot from the north beginning in 568 and had finally made it to the Eternal City. This meant that Pelagius had to wait months trying to get word clear over to Constantinople. Remember, that was the custom at the time for the emperor to rubber stamp a new pope's election. Unable to get a message past the Lombard blockade, Pelagius finally gave up and just scheduled his own consecration, officially becoming the 63rd pope on November 26, 579. His first acts as Pope involved convincing the Lombards to cut it the heck out and leave Rome. He succeeded before long, and it's thought that his convincing was a nice mix of a new Pope's words of wisdom and flat-out paying the enemies off, both out of the church's coffers and that of the emperor. Immediately after the threat had been lifted, Pelagius sent an envoy to Constantinople, led, as it turns out, by a deacon named Gregory, who would soon become a great successor of St. Peter in his own right. See episode 7 of the Popecast if you're not picking up what I'm putting down. Anyway, the Pope needed to first get word to the Byzantine Emperor Maurice that he'd been elected, but more practically, he needed military interference, something fierce. Rome in those days was in bad shape and was, as we just heard, ripe for the barbarian picking. The Catholic Encyclopedia notes that Pelagius' instructions were so adamant to Gregory that, quote, the deacon had been commissioned to haunt the imperial palace day and night never to be absent from it for an hour, and to strain every nerve to induce the emperor to send help to Rome. End quote. Unfortunately, these first efforts were in vain. 
The Eastern Empire's armies were exhausted and depleted at that time, so the emperor never was able to muster much in terms of help. As a result, Pelagius II turned in his desperation to the Franks, ancestors of the French, basically, writing to the influential Frankish bishop Onicarius, quote, We believe that it has been brought about by a special dispensation of divine providence, that the Frankish princes should profess the Orthodox faith, like the Roman emperors, in order that they may help this city whence it took its rise. Persuade them with all earnestness to keep from any friendship and alliance with our most unspeakable enemies, the Lombards. End quote. This effort, at least, bore some temporary fruit. The Franks did indeed come to the Pope's aid, whether it was by his own persuasion or by the political maneuvering of the Emperor, we'll never know. But supposedly they were only fighting initially out of a zeal for the papal cause. But money would win the day over loyalty when it was all said and done. The Franks ended up being bought off by the Lombards to leave Italy altogether. And faced with the option of less death and more dough, they gladly obliged. It was more than likely a humbling and probably more than a little terrifying time for the good pope. By this time, Pelagius II had been pope for the better part of five years, and he sent one more last-ditch effort east to Constantinople. Imploring the future Pope Gregory the Great to turn up the heat on the emperor, Pelagius wrote again, quote, Here we are in such straits that unless God move the heart of the emperor to have pity on us and send us a master of the soldiery and a duke, we shall be entirely at the mercy of our enemies as most of the district round Rome is without protection, and the army of these most unspeakable people will take possession of the places still held for the empire. End quote. This, at least, seemed to bear some fruit, as the exarch of Ravenna, the emperor's representative in the west, was able to at least secure a truce with the Lombards for the time being. This allowed Pelagius to recall Gregory from Constantinople for good. He had been there for the prior six years, and to his great relief, he returned home. And then he generally was able to turn his attention to more churchy matters, you might say. As you might expect, the political intrigues and battles with secular powers always tend to get more real estate in these types of biographies, and yet, even though spiritual matters may be shorter on detail, it's those that seem to resonate more throughout the centuries. Pelagius II started by using the peace and quiet to attempt, in vain albeit, to put an end to a schism that had arisen in Italy over what's known as the Three Chapters Controversy, a long, winding, complicated ordeal involving Popes Vigilius and Pelagius I a couple of decades earlier. Suffice it to say, it was all a matter of prudential judgment in dealing with an old heresy back then, but the prior Pope's handling of it all sparked a massive divide among Italy's bishops. Pelagius II's efforts were mostly all for naught, as the schism ended up lasting another couple of centuries. Pelagius' most notable acts were his zeal for the poor, for the uprightness of the clergy, and in opposition to a fancy new title adopted by the Patriarch of Constantinople, the bishop who sat at the seat of the empire. The Pope's protege Gregory would largely follow in his mentor's footsteps as he ascended the throne following Pelagius' death, showing how influential a figure this Pope was to one of the great pontiffs of the past 2,000 years. In particular, Pelagius at various points turned his own house into a hospital for the poor and adorned both the shrine of St. Peter and the church of St. Lawrence. He was a strong proponent of clerical celibacy as well, but it was apparently so much so that Gregory ended up actually modifying those rules only slightly when he himself was pope, thinking that portion of Pelagius' recommendations may be a bit too strict. Pope Pelagius II died on February 7th, 590, after a decade in the chair of St. Peter. The Pope, as luck would have it, was one of the first victims of a bubonic plague outbreak known to history as the Roman Plague of 590. 
Author George Cohn writes in his book Encyclopedia of Plague and Pestilence that, quote, The late 6th century chronicle by Gregory of Tours includes an account of the epidemic given him by his deacon, who was in Rome at the time. In November 589, the Tiber River overflowed its banks, destroying many granaries. People claim they saw serpents and dragons floating on the floodwaters down to the sea. The pestilence that Gregory of Tours calls the Plague of the Groin, Lues Inguinaria, began a few months later. Although he outlines no specific symptoms, the other information he gives, that the disease killed its victims rapidly and affected all classes and households, also points to bubonic plague. At about the same time, similar epidemics raged at Vivier and Avignon in Frankish Gaul. End quote. Gregory the Great, who wouldn't officially be consecrated as Pelagius' successor until that November, was presumably the Pope-elect almost immediately. He was unanimously chosen, and he set about preaching many sermons, exhorting the Romans to repent of their sins. He organized processions throughout the city, likely mirroring those he had witnessed years before in Constantinople, begging the Theotokos, Mary, the God-bearer, the mother of God, for help and protection. And according to legend, most famously, Gregory had a vision as the procession neared the mausoleum of the Roman Emperor Hadrian. As the story goes, atop the building, Gregory saw St. Michael the Archangel himself sheathing his sword to symbolize that the plague was over. I just had to include that last story in there. I know it's not about Pelagius himself, but it is so legit. But at any rate, that is a wrap on this story of Pope Pelagius II, the Pope who died of the plague. If you're enjoying the PopeCast and haven't already, please be sure to leave us a rating and a review over at iTunes. We actually, we did have one come in right before Christmas that is from a Dr. Han 87 So if anybody can confirm that if Dr. Scott Hahn is a fan of the PopeCast, well, let's just say that would make uh, my whole life. But at any rate, whoever this Dr. Han is, they uh, left a five-star review. Very gracious. We appreciate it. Uh, saying, I discovered this podcast as I was driving cross-country. Every episode was enjoyable. I am a fan of history, particularly when it comes, uh, when it aligns with our faith as Catholics. Great podcast. Keep up the great work. So thank you, Dr. Han87, whoever you are. Uh, super grateful for that review, uh, whether you're actually Dr. Scott Han or not. But I'm sorry, I just had to speculate for a little bit. But please, if anybody knows for sure, let me know. Okay, I digress. And then uh, lastly, a special thanks to our newest patrons, David, Mitchell, Laura, and John. If you're not on the patron train yet and you're a PopeCast superfan, please be sure to check us out at patreon.com slash thepopecast, patreon.com slash thepopecast. Or if Patreon or social media more broadly isn't your jam, you can find us on locals.com as well. But thanks as always to our listeners, new and old you can catch us on social media between new episodes at the Popecast, and feel free to shoot us an email at thepopecast.fm sometime. We'd love to hear from you. So as we head out today, let us ask for the intercession of Pope Pelagius II and St. Gregory the Great that our current pestilence might soon end and that we might be prepared for our deaths now and on the day the Lord calls us. Until next time. <laughs>